I love Mondays. People say Mondays suck, right? Everybody's always like down on Mondays. All you normies out there going to your jobs. I don't think that that's true. Tuesday sucks. Tuesday is the worst day because Monday you come in all fired up. You had the rest from the weekend, especially this weekend. We all got to get that extra hour of sleep. How good did that feel? Everybody, like, are you guys big sleep guys? I know Joe is. Like, obviously, you're young, so you guys probably sleep all the time. Pete kind of grinds, though. Like, he does, like, different shifts. He's shift worker. Like, you're up, eh? Yeah, I'm up. Yeah, yeah. I also live uh, near a lot of construction. So oh, yeah. uh, This I explains things, actually, because you're kind of a jittery guy. <laughs> you're always kind of like, coffee. like look, he's, look at him right now. He's, like, playing with the cord for his headphones. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I do that too. That's true. Both of you guys go, like, 10 minutes without your vapes, and you're, like, <laughs> wrapping cords around your no, fingers. No, I blame the coffee. I blame the coffee. Yeah. Your little sugar water, iced yeah. coffee? Second yeah. of the day. Yeah. Second of the day. <laughs> yeah. He's a lot of ice. I love it. He said second it. of the day. He said it and he started like twitching <laughs> as he was like, second of the day. But yeah, that extra hour of sleep was awesome. I woke up this morning with the feeling of I got too much sleep, which is very, very rare for me. Like wow. very, very rare. But Mondays rule. Mondays are sweet. You come in. How much weekend do you want? Honestly, I'm kind of down for three day weekend, but. Take Fridays and let us just turn baby Friday, Thursday into the true Friday. Three-day weekend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be perfect. Yeah. I love the three-day weekend thing because all the studies go, hey, this is actually really good. It doesn't change the economy. It's good for Mm -hmm. everybody. This is awesome. I'm like, what kind of a narc would you have to be to go against the study? You know, like even if you get the evidence that four-day work week is actually kind of bad, you could you, you remember when you were a kid and there was the one Pete? Now, Pete was a bully in high school, I forgot. But there was a, the nerd that went, hey, you forgot to give us homework? That's that person oh, where they go, we have to say that the four-day work week actually would hurt the economy. You'd be, Shut up, idiot. <laughs> we're already inflation. Who cares? It's already ruined anyways. Dave Chappelle said if he was president, he would uh, implement a three-day weekend. I would vote for Dave Chappelle already, oh, yeah. and now I'm even... Like, even more so. Yeah, now I'm even deeper in Dave Chappelle's pocket. Anyways, the extra hour felt great. Tons of stories, all the boys. I love it when there's juice in the room before the show, where everybody's shooting it. Everybody's basically, it just turns into me versus Pete. <laughs> for like 20 minutes. Uh, you know, Pete's views. <laughs> his, his views, his black and white reality that Pete lives in. Uh, and then the boys are all fired up for the day. Anyways, um, here's what's black and white for you, Peter. Sheldon Keefe, mm. off the hot seat. All right, cool. He's just sitting on a cool block of ice. He is having a great morning because the Leafs, the most hilarious team, honestly. Like, there's no team right now in pro sports that is like the Leafs. Like, give me one team that's like them, where they could show up, dog it, lose to the loseriest of teams, and then show up against the Bruins and the Canes. And listen, the Canes game was a little different. I I thought they did. They played a good game, but. The Bruins game was like a really nice performance. And then the Canes game was sort of the formula of, hey, if you tighten up defensively, you continue to take away the middle of the ice, you can be a great counterpunch team because you've got superstar players that if they just get the smallest of opportunities, they can punish you, right? And by the way, I'm definitely talking to Born today about Nylander. I think that Nylander season is getting a little slept on now. It's, it's been like everyone mad, everyone furious. Tavares getting all the, the hype. 
which deservedly so. But I actually think Nylander, if you look at the charts, the Nylander charts, boy, do the Nylander charts say he's good. But no, I test too. I just feel like Nylander put on a little weight this offseason, got a little bit bigger, got a little bit stronger, and he just seems a little bit more dialed into the season. I've, I've just really liked Nylander for the most part. Um, him being a quiet guy from a narrative standpoint, that's a good thing for William Nylander, right? Because people like to point out the bad plays, the soft plays, the boneheaded plays. And when he does good stuff, it usually goes a little bit under the, well, isn't he supposed to do that category? I'm like, yeah, Mm. but he's just, he's been good. And if we're going to kill him for being an inconsistent player, I think that he deserves credit this year for being a consistent one. But yeah, I think the Keith talk is dead now. Um, It can resurface because that's who this team is. Basically, if you make a proclamation of one thing that cannot happen with the Toronto Maple Leafs, you will look like an idiot. You will look like an idiot because this team just continues to prove that they will go the opposite the way the wind is blowing. They will just, when you think you know what they're going to do, you kind of do because it is the thing that they're not supposed to do. Did you follow that? Did that make any sense? Justin Bourne, uh, real Kipper and Bourne. Uh, my co-host on Leafs Talk, uh, who's got the control Tuesday night. What's up, bro? How are we doing? I'm doing good, and I followed you perfectly. They okay. they do the thing they're not supposed to do every time. Yeah, but to be fair, you also understand my brain a little bit better than most. There's a lot of people that <laughs> listen to that. You've, you've heard a lot of my rants and ramblings, and you've had a lot of my texts. You, you get it a little bit better than most. You got the yeah, codex. It's a bit of a labyrinth, but once you learn, you know, where <laughs> yeah. to get in, where to get out, it's uh, you can manage it. Yeah. So let's start with Keith because I actually think that he deserves a lot of credit um, for the weekend. Um, I thought that they were just showing nothing in that Carolina game, and it kind of felt like, hey, you're going to lose this game. And all of a sudden it was one nothing, and Keith decides to throw the lines in a blender. It ends up working out. The team immediately responds to it, goes to sleep a little bit to start the third, but overall they get the win. Um, yeah, where are you at with Keith talk after the weekend? Yeah, I, I, you know, you proclaiming it dead, I think, is a, a reasonable reaction to things. If anything, it kind of drives home how you felt about this team that, like, it feels like it's on the players because it's there. It's within them. Like, when, when, they're eight, when they seem to be motivated and have a, an opponent to get up for, mm-hmm. like, this group can do it. So it, it does to me just is such a reminder that – First, it's a reminder that these guys are who we thought they were, that, mm-hmm. you know, it's a team that kind of plays when they want to play at times. But it's also validation because a lot of us, and I think you included, said preseason a lot of positive things about this team. And I found myself sitting there after three weeks at 4-4-2 going, I don't think I've ever been this wrong before. How was I this wrong? What did I get wrong? And now after a weekend like that, it's not that I feel full, fully vindicated, but it's like, okay, this team's not awful. There was a moment there where it felt like this team might be awful, yep. and they're not. Yep. No, uh, McKee on Leafs Talk last night, he said it best when he went, I make no apologies for the takes that I had during the first couple of weeks of the season. And I don't think that any Leaf fan should because they were dreadful. They were playing horrible. You and I did a podcast where the title was, Are the Leafs Good? And I said I wasn't sure. <laughs> like, my, yeah. my belief in whether yeah. they were good was shaken. And now after this weekend, you feel much better. But I will say this, though, about the, the Keefe hot seat thing. And I, again, I don't believe that it comes up until the Leafs go into another lull. And it's really, ugh. I don't want to say it's hard to imagine them going into another lull uh, because of what they showed during those first couple of weeks. But 
I'm I'm saying if I had to predict one way or the other, uh, it it feels very much like Keefe's job security uh, with with this front office, with the state of the Maple Leafs, with the history of coaches coming in during a regular season is pretty secure. But I did have this thought watching over the weekend. Um, they played really well defensively, and they were a counterpunch team. And I wonder if that actually works for them. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a Barry Trotz thing. Yeah. It's interesting. It's actually a very good point about what this team is now. You know, I, I was watching that Carolina game last night, and I was thinking, you know, we started the game, and I even tweeted this, like it looked like the Carolina was really tough to get through, as in they were very organized, the structure was good, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. But as the game went on, I was like, God, it looks hard for Carolina to get through this Leafs team. Yep. And you go, and you go, okay, they keep Carolina to one goal last night, they kept Boston to one goal the game before, they gave up two the game before. Like, they're a good defensive team and you start wondering what is the identity of this team it hasn't been offense this season you know is that something that they're looking at now where you go they're a good defensive team and to your point if they can counterpunch effectively and score off the rush that's what's beat them in the past it might be interesting to draw on their history a little bit and learn from it yeah so i kept saying that the two games the thing that impressed me the most is that they just they took away the middle of the ice and if we go back to the vegas game it was, oh, my God, it's so easy to get there. And then the Sharks mm-hmm. game started with a play where somebody scores right in front of the net, right in the slot, high danger chance. Um, Carolina obviously controlled the play. I think the Leafs had something like six shots through the first, you know, period and a half in that hockey game. 30, yeah. but, through, but throughout both of those games, what did, you see, what did you see from the Leafs that was different? Was there something that Keith tried to do stylistically, defensively that worked? Because it was pretty noticeable. Like, I think Timothy Lilligren has looked fine in his return, but I, I'm not mm-hmm. equating the Leafs all of a sudden pinching the entire you know home plate area to the return of Timothy Lilligren. No, but I do think it's relevant. And yeah. I had I was thinking about this last night too, and I think you're onto something. I also didn't watch Lilligren and go, "What a difference maker for the Leafs." But what I did do is the thing that I think you have been most on point of anyone is you know it makes the puzzle pieces fit for them. It makes them have three pairs that they can play. It makes them have three pairs that they can roll out situationally. Like Riley and Lilligren aren't going to play the you know heavy defensive guy uh, responsibilities, but you know it allows them to have some pairs that can with Brody and Hall. Like it's it just puts guys in a better position. I think throughout the lineup, that's a big first step for them. And then yeah, you know I, I don't know that he, uh, anything would have changed in terms of systems and structure so much as. Um, you know, the team recognizing that Caroline is a great team and that they would be the fresher team and just having to be patient and, and let the game come to them. And sometimes that's something that's been a flaw of this team and something I've been critical of is when they don't score, push, 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 and cheat and look and whatever. And I thought they did a really good job. Maybe it was tired legs, but just staying patient and letting the game come. Yeah, so both of those games you equate it more than to like staying locked in, player intensity, discipline, rather than any kind of coaching structural change. For sure. It's not like Nick Nurse and the Raptors and, you know, the way they adjusted to play against the Bulls or whatever. It's like, you know, they, I just feel like there's not enough time to do that in hockey. I I do feel like it's just a, yeah, a buy-in thing and a commitment level. So like the other news from the weekend, that's pretty big is Keith decides to finally split his two big guys. I know. And it works. What do you do now? Actually, I sent uh, our real Kipper and Bourne group chat uh, a message when it was happening. Like, if you're bunting 
and you're with Yarn Croc and Engvall and your line scores like they did, you're like, God no. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Don't let them think this works. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> true. Good. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's nice to see that he was willing to do it, that it's an option for them. Yeah. Um, and it, it was invigorating a little bit, right? Like just people are in different places. It shifts up the, the flow of the game, and it's ridiculous when you're – a period or two into a game where you can't get anything going to keep kind of hammering through. I, I should say two periods into a game and you can't get anything. Coaches don't change up the line. So mm-hmm. uh, it was good to see. I don't know that I would draw any permanent conclusions. Did you? No, I, I actually said that I would probably almost prefer the Leafs to just run back the Matthews Marner line for the next game and just say, Hey, mm-hmm. we're starting this one against Vegas, but I like having the looming threat of it. You know, I like having the, so if you're not going to show up, which let's be honest, that top, like the top line got split because of the way that they played against Carolina. We can give them credit and also say something truthful at the same time, which is, yeah, Leafs played a better defensive hockey game. They didn't give Carolina a ton of high danger chances. They played a more defensive, uh, I think defensively focused game with Eric Schalgren in Mm -hmm. that. But also, like, their star players were not exactly giving them an offensive punch at any point in that game, and they decided to split them up. And I would say I like that as modus operandi for now, which is, hey, you can't be too comfortable here. I also kind of like that Keith in getting these through wins just feels like he gets a little bit more empowerment. He does a thing that worked, and the Leafs end up getting a win. They won three straight. I like having the guy in the room you know, have a say and, and have what he yeah. says matter. So that's yeah. just me. But yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I like how this weak. is. I like this formula. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. It, it has felt weak that like, it's felt like, you know, he's not calling the shots at times. And so yeah, good to see some shots get called and have them pan out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the point you make about having this be modus operandi, it's like, if you're Matthews and Marner, and the coach wants to give you a period and a half or, you know, whatever, half the game call or two periods, somewhere in that range to see if you can get it going. You can't complain about that. That's enough hockey to yeah. have produced something, to have looked dangerous. If you don't do it after that, you don't get to come to the bench and go, oh, why, why, why am I with Kelly Yarncroft this year? It's like, well, because you haven't done anything. You know, I, I don't think that's a tough one to justify. And, and in that case for Keith, who seems to need a little bit more justification than other coaches. It's a smart way to play things. That said, we'll see how that operates after a loss. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, they, they get switched up and still don't produce anything. And all of a sudden it's, you know, he's given up on the line and, you know, made the team worse and they couldn't score. So you're right. It is, it is so narrative based. on outcome, And it's also one of those situations where does Keith have the wherewithal to stick with it? If it, like he benched Marner, right? And it was a shift or whatever, because then, and then he has to put him back out on the ice because they're chasing a game. And I still wonder what it would look like if let's say they're playing Vegas tonight or sorry, tomorrow night, a big opponent, a team that already beat you. You'd like to be able to have a statement in your own arena and say, Hey, these guys beat us, but we adjusted. And now we're a different team already. Just a week later, we want to beat you. You go into the tank. The top line is not really producing something. You decide to split them up, but it's not working, and you trail by a goal. Do you go back to it in the third? Like These are the questions that I'm more interested in when it comes to that stuff. But again, I I do like that Sheldon uh, did some tinkering, and the tinkering worked. The other reason why it worked, though, is that Mm. Tavares and Nylander have just been good. And, okay, this is a weird one. I... (laughs) 
I just don't like the two. They've been both really good this season, right? We can agree. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's fine. That's irrefutable. Yeah. I actually, um, sorry to interrupt, but I really liked your point about how Nylander has become a stay-at-home defenseman, where when he doesn't get talked about, he must have played well. Yes, it's true. It really is. He's it, like, <laughs> it's it's wild to me that we. Like, if we're not having William Nylander referendums, it's good. It's really, really good. And yeah, no one can say fine. anything. He's doing great. <laughs> but I still don't think that he and Tavares fit well together. Like, no. it just the two of them do not have complementary skill sets. This is just me, but someone who's watched them play a lot together. And they get split up, and all I can think is, this is such a weird thing for this team because I'm not even sure necessarily that you would want to have Nylander with his own line or with Matthews full-time or what the solution is, but it seems like having longer looks of this is really good for the Maple Leafs and that, yeah, this guy's played really well. I, I kind of like the idea of just experimenting with Nylander throughout different parts of the lineup to see if you can optimize that player rather than continuously keep him with Tavares, which you know has a good baseline, but also has mm-hmm. a bit of a ceiling because of the way they play with each other. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, the more I think about the lines and optimal use, and we're years into thinking about these, this conundrum, if there were an easy answer, we'd have it by now. You know, I, I, the more I think about it, though, I just think that Pittsburgh and Sidney Crosby and all the times he has driven a line that haven't had superstars on it. You know, whether it's, you know, all of a sudden Brian Rust is a superstar and Jake Gensel is this and whoever plays with them plays well um, because he drives his own line. And I wonder with Matthews, if, they, if the Leafs don't get there to, at some point where he drives his own line, you know, and that kind of frees you up the other three guys to build something, whatever it is you like. Marner and Tavares have had success in the past. You know, is Willie just a guy that could be really make your third line really dangerous? You know, have a legit threat there, play PP1. Is he a guy that doesn't really use one of these superstars? You know, I, I think there's something to that. It's certainly an option I would consider. It's unfortunately with the personalities involved, it's hard to say, hey, Matthews, you know, can you make, um, you know, Kerfoot and Shalgren work? Or, sorry, Kerfoot and uh, Yarncroft work? Mm. You know, like something like that. So that's. Uh, that's something I want to see happen at some point. I know it's it's hard to figure out what the the piece is with him because you go, you'll always have this trump card. Well, there's two. The, this is the trump card for Matthews always. Well, um, him playing with Marner makes him happiest, and he's the franchise player, and he does not have a contract beyond next season. And then you go, oh yeah. And then the second part is. Um, he's one of the best goal scorers on the planet. You're telling me that you don't want to have him play with one of the best setup men on the planet. And those two points right. get made, and I go. Well, well <laughs> you know, so it just kind of ends. It sucks. It just ends. Yeah. So it's really hard to move off of that. Okay, so uh, wait. You know what? I'm going to do all the positives at once, and then I'm going to shift to the, the thing that we have yet to discuss, which is that they have no goalies. We're going to get to that part. Okay, so you and I, uh, we've done a lot of podcasts. We've done a lot of radio together, and we've always done this bit of, Hey, is somebody a guy, right? A guy is whether or not oh, someone it. is a player. Um, yeah. We have made false proclamations about guys before. We have also ah. made correct ones and saying guys have not been guys. I would say the biggest, the basically the biggest trick has always been Pierre Engvall. He's been the hardest to put into the well, guys. We thing. guide him and he's yeah, a guy, but he's just not a good guy. I know. <laughs> yeah. And he's just, sometimes he doesn't want to be a guy is the problem. <laughs> sometimes yeah. he's like, he can ah. be a guy. He's got guy skills. Yeah. He's got guy skills. He just doesn't seem to have guy consistency. Um, so, 
I have been, uh, to start the season, very eyebrow-raised about Dennis Malgan. I was, uh-huh. hey, I don't know, and this guy looks like he should just basically be the star in the K rather than play over here. Why did he stay on the lineup instead of Nick Robertson, who obviously has a long-term future with the organization? How is Malgan going to play in heavier games? Well, Malgan's best two games of the year were against two of the heaviest teams in hockey. And mm-hmm. I couldn't help but notice the guy throwing a little bit of the body around, back-checking, just sort of pressing. I genuinely, this is my, you know what my truth serum take about that, uh, <laughs> that, that Carolina game? Yeah. Malgan gave them the spark. He was the only guy whose feet yeah. were moving. He kept going. He, he kept pushing in that Carolina game and just, like, was a person doing things. No one else did anything in that game except for Malgan so for the first period and a half. And then the depth started to play, and guys went, oh, right, this is our opportunity to kind of have an impact on this uh, this weekend. And then the Leafs end up winning the game. Anyway, I just think Malgan deserves a lot of credit. It's hard to give him guy status off of two games. I don't want to be overly reactionary, but... Like, are we moving him through the process a little bit differently now? Well, you know, I love I love this conversation. I think this is maybe my favorite Leafs conversation that I have with you is mm. a guy or not a guy because it's uh, a genuine challenge, you know, and not not a scout either of us here. So, my well, my one of us on... more qualified than the other though. <laughs> just, just, let's let's not love, like I appreciate you doing that for me, but let's just uh, let's make it, let's make it very clear that there is a difference in resumes here. All right. Well, listen. So I've got here's my my mulligan take at the present moment is that uh, to a different level, it reminds me of Timothy Lilligren last year, where I didn't see a way that Lilligren could be effective for the Leafs. Because what is his role? What, do, what would you say you do here? You're not defensive. You're not offensive necessarily. What do you do? Um, but slowly he had a really good like half a season and came around and, you know, and I did too. So I was like, okay, we got a guy. This is a guy. But the whole time I maintained my point that he wasn't a guy that was going to be uh, matter for them in playoff. Mm-hmm. And so to me, and that, turned out to be correct. Is, and that turned out to be correct. And to me, that's somewhat like Mulgan where – if he plays like he played the last couple day, games, my God, you have that guy in the fourth line and he can create something, give you an extra spark down there, be a little something different to change the pace up on the bottom line. So I, I like that, but I still can't stop, stop myself from sitting here and going, wait, all we've said this season is playoffs are all that matters. Mm-hmm. All that's going to matter is the postseason. And I cannot see Dennis Mulgan against the Boston Bruins in round one of playoffs mattering being effective doing what he did this past weekend it's just i guess it's possible but i don't think it's going to happen as of today i'm with you that he, he changed my mind the last couple of games with this yeah. play but i still don't think he's part of the solution for this Leafs team dude um which i think is fine and this is why guy not a guy is a it's a it's not an immediate thing all the times Right, and I didn't want you to give guy stamp of approval immediately because yeah. that just shows that the process is rushed. I'm just saying that he has now come to the like the the paperwork is being filed now. You know, like when, before, when you're playing a horse and you've got H O or something, yeah. like he's got a G. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, he's he is on the board now. Like he is there, and this is the the thing I I like about him on this team. Uh, We talk about the Leafs maybe not caring as much about the regular season now, right? Matthews has already gotten his statistics. I'm not saying guys don't want their stats, but 
Marner, Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, like these guys have gotten their numbers before. I don't know if right. that's what's like motivating them at this point in time, right? Like Matthews it is... It does not seem to be if you watch 34. Yeah, no, no. 34 I, does not seem to care about ever winning a, a Rocket Trophy again <laughs> as of right now. No. <laughs> uh, they don't have a ton of guys who are just like brilliant offensive creators uh, down the lineup. I think that's pretty clear. I like having the one guy who's just always looking for his cookies, like always looking for stats, you know, just it's wants Spezza, right? stats. It's the guy in the fourth line. Yes. You're like, he can do a thing. Yeah, he can do a thing, but he he wants stats, you know? Like, I yeah. like having that little – We I joked, I called him Lou Williams after that one game where it's like, hey, I don't trust this guy defensively at all, but, hey, give him the ball for a couple of quarters or a couple of possessions yeah. and, and let him cook. I just sort of like having that dude down the lineup. And as much as I wanted that to be Robertson, it – it, it has faded for Robertson since the very hot start. Yeah. Yeah, it has for sure. I, I feel like with Mulligan, there is so much that I don't like uh, for what the Leafs need in terms of, yeah. you know, puck battles or side positioning or like he doesn't stop and start. I'm not sure if he stopped this season. He's just in constant He's motion. Kind of can't keep his feet. He is. And that's cool. But I do think if he plays, the next 70 hockey games or whatever's left, mm. I think there's like eight where he's the best player in the rink. You know, and how often can you say that about your your fourth yeah. line where, you know, if you have a guy that could be, you know, a, a very dangerous, effective player who scores twice or something, like it just feels like that's a value to have down your lineup, even if you got to put up with 60 games going, oh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, here, here's the thing. I'm just getting ahead of this. A lot of people will criticize me at times for being too high sometimes and too low at others. Ah, uh, talk radio. Yeah, but no, and I really, you know what, honestly, I really do try to avoid it, and, but I just, I came away from this weekend going, I bought some Algen stock. All right. I bought some, I, yeah. I bought a little and I, and I'm going to be kind of telling my friends about it, you know, going, you know, it's not so bad. You can get you right can now. Get in on this. Yeah. yeah. It's Malgan stock. I'm not going like full crypto bro, where it's just, I'm saying that Malgan's the future, but I'm just, I, I have a little bit filed away now. Whereas I, you, all, all I'm saying is sell your stock at game 52 or so before things get heavy. Yeah. So you get, you know, jack that price up and uh. then, you know, pump and dump. That just made that 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 hurt me because it made me think about you know uh, some investments pre the what's been going yeah. on. That, that that got too real. Uh, okay, so the goaltending situation. Um, they're down to the AHL goalies. <laughs> that's where they're oh, at. And good. and Keith went, hey, any team that's down to their third and fourth guys would not look that's very good. Goalies. And I went, yeah, kind of, that's a fair point. But also, you signed the injury guy and then the $1 million right. flyer guy. This couldn't have been like, how did we ever get here? You know, this, right. this is such a fluky, weird thing. Um, what do you do, though? What, what do you try to do? Do you do, would you prefer to see them make some kind of a, a move? Um, even though it doesn't appear like Samsonov or Murray is like weeks and weeks away. Like, let's say it feels like weeks, not months or a month for them. Yeah, so I just like people to know that this is a show in the morning, so I haven't had time to look into this. But my understanding is, had Washington not claimed Abe Kubel, they wouldn't have had a, a player yeah, contract. You yeah, they were screwed. Sign a goalie. Yeah. So what would they have done? <laughs> like literally, like traded a guy. What would have happened? Yeah, I think so. I'm so. I'm so confused about how they would have had a second goaltender. But anyway, so... Or they would have yeah. had the York goalie or whatever for a game before they figured that out. Right, Pete, uh, yeah, Pete yeah. Pete would have been in net. 
Yeah, but, but you're right. It, it is the equivalent of like, you know, building your house and Tornado Alley out of toothpicks and being yeah. like, everyone's house got hurt by the tornado. It's like, yeah, yeah but you have no chance. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the situation is, you know, we are, we are where we are now, and I feel like they need to find a solution. Like, mm. the, the scariest part is like, Murray coming back is going to look like what? He looked bad healthy. You know, and I understand it was only one game, but we did with this with Morazic last year where you tried to talk yourselves into a guy for a couple of games that, you know, even if it goes well for a minute and he ends up hurt again, like, I don't know. It's a very good team with Stanley Cup aspirations. Uh, I don't know. I, I do feel like this is not a settled goaltending. I don't think we're going into the playoffs with Murray and Samson up. I just don't. Okay, so here's what I would like to see them do. Stick with Shalgren and stick with Keith Petruzzelli for the week, you know, and mm-hmm. see if the Leafs, this is my p- positive spin zone theory, that the Leafs continue to play that attention to detail, tight defensive game in front of those guys because they know that what's back there they can't trust to make a save, right? Like, right. I, I'm, right. I'm happy for Shalgren. He made a couple of stops in that game. He only let in one goal. He did his job, which was not let in a softie, which Freddie Anderson cannot say on the other end of the ice. However, oh, you guys love it, eh? You and Sammy. I didn't, buddy. I've, I'm not a Freddie hater. I, I don't get the whole like people rooting against Jack Campbell thing. Like I'm not that kind of a person. I just I go, yeah. The Leafs were never paying this guy that kind of money anyway. Like I, I I don't root against Jack Campbell. I don't root against Freddie Anderson. I'm I don't have that gene. Like that's just not in me. The only time I kind of do that is when it's a trade. And then I go, oh, I hope my team ends up winning this trade, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm rooting actively every week for the Broncos to lose because the Seahawks have their draft pick. Like, that works. So I, (laughs) every interception Russell Wilson throws, I'm just celebrating like it's a Super Bowl for me. But, no, Freddie Anderson, I think, got a bit of a bum rap in Toronto. And I always kind of went, like, this is one of the ugly reasons about playing in this market is sometimes guys become whipping boys and then nobody ever lets it go. Like, it just becomes a thing that you're... Like, Sam McKee's going to talk about hating Freddie Anderson until he's, you know, in the grave. So, (laughs) just like, that sucks. Freddie was like a 920 save percentage here. (laughs) Exactly. And Sam just, you know, hears his name and he recoils and makes a face. It's like, that's no good. Um, I'd like to see them keep the two AHL guys in net. I'd like to see them, like, prove for a little while that they can continue to be that tight defensive team that can counterpunch and beat you at times. I think that will show a little bit of team toughness. I think that... Maybe we get a look at, I don't know what this Petrozelli kid is. I know he's got some Marley's numbers. numbers. Yeah, he's got some great Marley's numbers, and he has a bit of pedigree. Great in college, great in the ECHL, good so far. He's been very good. He's 6'5", he's 23. Yeah, so so yeah, go take a look at that. See what you have. Um, Who who knows? Maybe you do hit on something. I think I've learned enough about Shalgren. Um, Again, played fine, but... How many of those shots missed the net by Carolina? How many bobbles were there in that game? Yeah. And how many times was the puck by him and then he's reacting? Like That was a lot. But, there was a lot. Uh, yeah. There's going to be games where if he's in net, they just shoot it in past him a few times and they lose. Like, yeah. That's just going to be the punishment for having him. But see if you have something internally that might hit. And my fear is that you rush back Matt Murray you can't rush him back. He's been a Band-Aid. You have to make sure that he is 100% like iron ready to go ready to play hockey games do not put him in a position where he is any somewhat compromised because i think if he comes back and he has a slow start like he's gone and then you're back in the exact morazic situation which is how do you get off of this contract next off season yeah no i mean i listen i know you're right i can hear you saying all the right things about matt murray and giving him time and letting him but it's just 
I feel because I'm frustrated that he is the Leafs goalie in the first place. Yeah, and stupid. I didn't like it was stupid. It was bad trade. They didn't eat enough salary cap. They didn't hear yep. salary. They, the whole thing. It's really hard to not just be like, throw him to the wolves. Yeah. You know, like put him in there. Let's see what he's got. If we don't like it, we'll trade him. I kind of like that too, though. Honestly, you just, the way you just said it and even the, the inflection you had in your voice, I went, you know what? Throw him to the wolves. I'm so easily swayed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I gave him the thumbs up like he lives and then one person in the crowd was like thumbs down I was like yeah you know what thumbs what down <laughs> like thumbs down <laughs> let them eat let them eat I guess my only point is is that if you are dubis I think that it's it's bad to be pot committed to something and then be inflexible but you have to play this out a little bit more than you have so far you got to see Murray in net. You got to be a little patient. You got to hope that he can come back and he and the Samsonov tandem can work to a certain degree. I just don't want them to make a trade right now for two reasons. One, you mentioned it. They're already at the 50 contracts thing. So somebody goes out and then they bring in a goaltender. And then what? All of a sudden you've got like two mediocre to bad goalies and then Samsonov. Like it, it doesn't mm-hmm. make a lot of sense to me having multiple guys there. Like... People have brought up Vegas as a landing spot for a trade because they've got three guys. Actually, they have four because Hutchinson's there as well. And we were joking last night on Leafs Talk about how the Leafs have a conch where they just blow into the conch and Hutchinson shows back up. He's back (laughs) with the organization. But I just, there's no solution in net right now that changes the Stanley Cup ceiling, right? There's no guy that comes in here and you go, well, now they've got... Alex Hill, like, you know, there's nothing. There's no trade like yeah. that's coming this way. So don't screw yourself by taking on another contract. Don't lose an asset. Don't change anything right now. Just ride the storm, get one of these guys back, and then reassess. Because I, the one thing they cannot do with that added cap space from Muzzin is is blow some of it on a goaltender that's not going to be there come playoff time right now anyways. Yeah, well, you know, it's a good point. I think if you wait till February, you, you've got a lot of teams who – thought they were in it who suddenly may realize maybe they are not so in it and maybe that you know it's time for them to change directions and trade off a guy so i think there will be teams looking to make moves at the deadline so yeah it's probably the time to be be patient cross your fingers and watch through you know a grimace teeth emoji just going okay here we go shalgren i think it's awesome for that team in some ways too though because again they have to tighten up and if they don't do it they're going to lose but also, it gives them a little bit of reprieve from the heat of the market, the pressure of the fan base, the everything, knowing that, hey, it's, you know, you get to be Matt Damon. It's not your fault. It's not your fault because it's Sean Chris's <laughs> yeah, fault. It's Petrozelli's fault. Yeah. Yeah, let these guys that probably don't have any long-term future with the organization eat all the heat, all right? Like, and then keep <laughs> like it moving. It. A little reprieve, a little oasis in the middle of the season. Uh, Justin Bourne, thanks for making time today, buddy. Uh, we'll listen to you on Leafs Talk Tuesday night. All right, buddy. Looking forward to it. Thanks. See you, pal. Uh, Justin Bourne. Just a couple of guys that, uh, what did he say? That neither of us is scouts. It's like literally a video coach where his job was to like break down the film and give assessments in the game. Um, yeah, I like this weekend for the Leafs. And I'm definitely sticking with the two AHL guys. I'm not making a panic trade. Leafs just don't have enough assets. This team can't keep giving up draft picks. I think they gave up a third round pick for Riddick that one year. Can't have one of those right now. And I've been teaching the two of you about what opportunity cost means. Well, most specifically Pete, who just, you know, has no concept of anything. Uh, But, (laughs) yeah, I've been trying to educate you guys on opportunity cost. Um, And I think that getting rid of a draft pick right now would be a mistake. Getting rid of a prospect right now would be a mistake, especially if you get to a deadline where you do need to swing a bigger trade. 
and then you've, you know, you've, there's a different goalie that's there that makes more sense for your team. Anyways, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Um, this, I feel like this weekend was a bloodbath in the NFL, like for, for sports betters. I'd love to get the, I hate it usually when they give the Vegas stats of look how good Vegas did, but I feel like there's new statues going up in Vegas this after this weekend because just like, woof, what a weird weekend. Uh, let's break it down later with Greg Jennings and let's give you some picks for tonight. Next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Joe just told me the dumbest story ever during it's the break. That He's dumb. like, one time my dad shot a duck. No, like no, 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 he told no. it my like dad's dad. We're like, yo, not even your dad. He's like, we well, no, shot a duck. Was he, oh, on a lake? He shot a duck. And Pete looked at him like, wow, Pete is such your hype <laughs> man where he'll just gas you up on anything. Joe will send the dumbest text into the group, and then Pete will be like, I thought it was good, Joe, and it actually makes it worse for me, and then I just have to shut my phone down for a little while because I hate you guys so hard for, like, 24 hours. I can't even see your face, but, yeah, that was incredible. Like, wow, somebody shot a duck, Joe? Wow, on no, a the, duck. The funny part was it was at, like, 6 in the morning, and wow. everybody was asleep, and it was a one-room cabin, and he just opened the window when everybody was asleep and then just shot the duck. That's an interesting story, J.D. That's Is it? A, yeah. It's because everybody woke story. up, and they thought they, they were getting attacked. Yeah. And it gives you a little it's insight into times. Joe's... Uh, Joe's family. Into, into, into my own. Yeah, I, a lot of insight. Guys who used to live on quiet lakes would shoot ducks <laughs> in the early 1900s. But that, what, that wasn't <laughs> the crazy part. The funny part was that it was at 6 early in the morning. Early in the morning, yeah, it's crazy. And it woke really everybody crazy. up. It's just insane. It was a, what a story, what a tale to regale me with this morning. It's time for action. <laughs> brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+. plus. Must be living in Ontario. Please play responsibly. So, can't remember what best bet I gave last week because I did a rapid fire because both you guys just, like, again, the vacation boys, just the mm-hmm. two of you, just mm-hmm. like, hey, part-time, one day you're in, one day you're out. So, I just threw a bunch of my favorite picks against the wall. I did say that I liked the Jags. I did say that uh, I liked the Commanders. So, those two didn't, you know, that's a split. What else did I say I, I liked? I think you said something about the Packers. Yeah. Oh, I love the Packers. Yeah. Oh my God, I did. I think that was my I official pack. I listened to you, JD. Yeah, the Packers. Yeah. I gotta tell you, we're we're doing this with Greg Jennings, so I don't want to waste anything here. But that was one of the worst losses I've ever had. <laughs> like they were down in the red zone. They had the ball the entire first half, and they came out of it down eight nothing, eight nothing. And I went, "You bozo losers." And then they finally get a little bit more momentum. And if you've been watching the Packers this year, this has been one of their MOs. They finally get one drive. And this isn't on their defense. Like, their defense played mostly fine. But they'll finally get some points. They'll finally make a push. They'll finally get something. And then that defense will be like, eh, we're not very good either. We got a million first-round picks, but we're going to let the uh, the Lions drive down the field and, and put up more points against us instead of just getting that stop that you need in that moment. Anyway, um, yeah, you're right. I'm going to take just a full L because I did give multiple picks, but I was most confident about the Packers this weekend. I had them on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did the Dumbo thing too. Like of, I just thought there was no way in hell the bills were going to lose. And I, I'm not a big parlay better. Like you guys know me. I'll send you screenshots of my bets. They're usually straight bets. That's what I, I usually like to do. I think that's the smarter way, but I, everybody loves a parlay here and there. Right. Like, I do the cowards parlay. I do this. But I just thought, there's no way the Bills are going to lose. I like the Jets, but there's no way they're going to lose. And I did the Dumbo thing of just throwing the Bills as, like, a little booster on a bunch of bets of going, like, Bills money line, Bills money line. It's like, don't do that. Not this year. Not with the NFL. 
Definitely don't do that this year with the NBA. I know that a lot of people do that with NBA parlays where they'll use heavy favorites as uh, odds boosters. And no, 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 no. Learn from my mistakes of trying to fade Laurie Markin and the Utah Jazz for the first their first three games this season. Whoops. All three losses. All three losses. I think two of them in overtime. Anyways, uh, best bets for Monday night. Uh, Joe, let's start with you because these are your Saints. And they are. Yeah, you're still kind of you're in. You're in on the Saints. You I got am, faith. Yeah, you're a real fan. Well, have you seen the division? I, <laughs> the Saints could still win the division at this rate with uh, the Falcons and the Buccaneers not really being good. But I, I'm taking a page out of your book for my bet tonight. Uh, a couple weeks ago, when the Bucks were on Thursday Night Football, yeah, and I took Kate Houghton, who's the backup tight end on Tampa Bay, because I'm like she can have a big game tonight. Because I was feeling confident because of the Jawan Johnson thing. Mm-hmm. I got the tight end, the backup tight end for New Orleans, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm going with it again. Uh, and you said, for player props, what I what I do is I, I want to bet on the guy who's going to have the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. Like I want to bet on the playmakers because even if they miss a couple catches, it doesn't matter. They're still going to get targets. When I, whereas a guy like Kate Auden, if he misses a wide open pass, it's like, okay, well, we're not going to throw to him anymore. Mm-hmm. So tonight I'm going Alvin Kamara heavy. That's my best bet. His... Total yards, like rushing and receiving. I knew you were going to pick a Saints player, by the way. I, come on, I, had I know, to. but it's just I just want to say to throw the caveat up there once again. Joe is a Saints fan. He did nail the last time we had a Saints pick, which Juwan was Juwan Johnson. But you you do the thing where like you're you're doing something I do sometimes, which is finding bets that I want to root for as well, and that can be a dangerous game. So anyway, I'll just throw up the True. caveat. But uh, anyways, it's kind of hard when like like the team that you support is also playing. But like I'm I'm going Alvin Kamara. His total yards is 105 and a half for, for rushing, rushing and, receiving. and receiving. He's averaging 145 okay. in the last month. So I like this bet because this is why I actually hate betting on guys like Kamara. And this happens every week with me with Austin Eckler. Mm-hmm. Every week with Austin Eckler, I go. Austin Eckler's rushing yards are low. His receiving yards are low. And then I don't know which one to pick. Yeah, I just go total. Yeah, but they're gonna th- get, but then gonna the total's ball. high. And then it's like, oh, if the game script goes against him. And now I need actually like 130 receiving yards yeah. because you're not going to end up getting any rush. So every week I stay away from these kind of running backs where I go, I don't like trying to pick. It feels like I have to pick twice. Like I've already yeah. picked the player to identify and then I have to pick the prop, which one of them that they're going to get. So I'm down with this. I'm down with this. This one I actually think does sound kind of low to me too. So I'm in on Alvin Kamara. What is it, 105? 105 and a half, valued at minus 115 on DraftKings. Also, right. anytime touchdowns looking nice too because he had three last week. He's going to mm. be their threat in the end zone. But if I'm going with the best bet, yeah. over 105 and a half. Ravens are a little Total bit yards. of soft, uh, soft tackling teams and the linebackers kind of suck. That's why mm-hmm. when they went out and got Roquan, everyone got really excited. But I still don't know if Roquan's the guy for them. Also, he's wearing 18. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Strange, very strange. Weird. As soon as I saw the hi- hype video of Roquan Smith in 18, I thought, one, did they actually trade for a receiver? And two is, <laughs> bust! This is a bust of a trade! Ravens are screwed. 18? What are you doing, buddy? That's a horrific number for a linebacker. Why they feel bad that they didn't trade for a receiver, so they gave him a yeah, receiver no, number. That's like, the one here, they had. here, Lamar, here's yeah, a receiver. They thought, they thought that's what it was going to be. All right, What Petey. if he lines up a receiver? That'd be crazy. That would be wild. Um... Well, I assume you know where I'm going. Uh, obviously, Raven Saints, uh, one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in the league. I have a feeling last night or yesterday. Is this a Taysom Hill joke? He was uh, watching Justin Fields break Michael Vick's record. Yeah, you're talking. This is a Taysom Hill joke. Uh, you ruined the joke, JD. That's why I'm going. <laughs> that's why I'm going. Andy Dalton over four and a half rushing yards minus one ten on DraftKings. Uh, I just think it's so low. Um, I want to bet on Lamar. But what's, what's his rushing yards week over week? 
Uh, I think he had like four last week, seven the other week, 21 one week, you know, like. So you are going in direct contrast of the Joe listening to JD theory, which is like the volume chances of an opportunity for a guy. You went in direct contrast. Like, I hope Andy Dalton has one broken play in this game that instead of four yards, which is what he's probably most capable of getting, that he picks up that extra yard. This is a real... No, like, no. What is this the base? Whole, the thing was I wanted to make the joke of uh, it was you're expecting Lamar, okay. and then I hit up Andy Dalton, you know? This is serious talk time, okay? This serious is people's talk? money. Well, then I'm taking uh, Lamar Jackson over <laughs> okay. 60 rushing yards. Yeah. 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 There yeah. he goes. There All right, he goes. there you go. <laughs> this, we're, this is real money. You're wearing an SN Bets hoodie. Like, yeah, you yeah. can't... Like, Andy Dalton over four and a half rush. If you bet that, you're psycho. Like, even if that hits, you don't get any credit. That's just a fluke bet. That's insane. Like, that's that number is just, hey, this might happen and you could get it. You might get it. Buff. You, you did get the Derek Carr one, though, three and a half earlier in the year. I did. Yeah, that's yeah, weird. I did. But those really bets, but, that's some, but that bet is a total coin yeah. toss, which is fine if you just want to bet a coin toss. But you can't base that in anything like, oh, well, this is the reasoning why I have for Andy Dalton to get five yards. To it. It's like, no, they're not designing any runs for him. Like, he's not. Yeah, anyway, that just, it, like I said, it's a broken play, and you're hoping that somehow he decides, I'm going to try to pick up a couple of yards with my feet. and uh, Yeah, that, that's it. Bafo, what do you like tonight? All right, my eyes are all over this total, guys. I don't know what's going on here. I think this is really high, 46 and a half points. Oh, I felt the opposite. Well, here's my argument. I mean, the Ravens have no downfield threat without Andrews and Rashad Bateman. Andy Dalton is at quarterback for the Saints. Um, I mean, obviously, that could lead to a couple of turnovers and maybe put some points on the board for the defense. But I I just think Andy Dalton isn't going to put up points on offense. And both teams other than Lattimore being out are pretty healthy on D. So I just think it's going to be a low, a lower scoring game than 46 and a half. Give me under 46 and a half uh, for both these teams. Do you guys have it up right now? Yep. Go to receiving, like go to receiving props is, do they just, do they have anything other than the two guys still? What do you mean? For receiving yards? Yeah, for receiving yards. This morning when I was looking at it, all they had listed for receiving props was Devin DuVernay and Alvin Kamara. No, they have have six now. Now they have six? Yeah. Okay. Is Isaiah likely on Mm -hmm. that list? Over 40. 40 and a half. 40 and a half is the total. I like both Isaiah likely props tonight. I like the anytime touchdown right now at plus 140, and I like him to go over 40 and a half yards. Listen, what do we say? Who did we talk about this with last week? We talked about with Michael Lombardi. What did Michael Lombardi say? Hey, you know, part of the reason they didn't trade for a receiver is because Isaiah likely exists. Dude, that guy caught the rock last weekend. And that guy was, honestly, I, my brother's a big Ravens fan, so I follow the Ravens a little bit more closely than other teams. That guy in the preseason, I know we go like preseason heroes, blah, 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 blah. But no, there's real skills there with this dude. He's, he's, he's a receiver. And in a week where they're missing Bateman, in a week where Andrews is banged up, where Duvernay is the number one, where there's a bunch of guys who are just like flat-out bums that are on the Ravens receiving options, this kid's not a bum. This kid can play, and I think Lamar trusts him. Big-body guy, over 40 and a half receiving, anytime TD plus 140. Um, I like both those bets. I'll go with the receiving yards because it's a safer option. But, yeah, I, I, I like likely. Uh, I just think that this kid is legit stud potential. And, again... Think about what the Ravens like. They like those two tight ends. They, they're the team that drafted Hayden Hurst. Who's the other guy they had for a little while? Heath something. They had another like big white guy tight end. 
that was just like it, meat, stand there, meat. Because <laughs> that, that was Lamar at the very beginning. It was just, hey, he wants to, he doesn't want to hit the moving target. Who's the other, who was the other guy they had? Wasn't it like Todd Heap or something? No, like no, that? no. That's before. That's that predates. They had, they had Pitta. No, no, no. I'm talking about during the Lamar era. They had one other guy. They had three tight ends, and then I can't, they ended up moving off of both. Uh, anyway, who cares? Hayden Hurst was one. Dallas Clark? No, later. 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 Later, boys. Anyways, Mark Andrews, we'll see tonight, but I'm a He's big out. likely guy. I know. Yeah. I know. I just, this is, this is a likely game. Very likely he goes over these props. Let's take a very quick break and let's come back and let's talk to Greg Jennings. But I thought I was going to get more because I just thought, hey, I get to go to bed early because it's Malik Willis versus Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. And then, no, it ends up going to overtime. Uh, that was kind of a fun game to watch, though. I won't lie. I felt bad for Malik Willis. It was it was hard. I know Austin's a Titans fan. It was like, I'm not writing off a guy after one game normally. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, yeah. My brother tried to convince me to make a preseason bet for him to win rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. Because he went, hey, listen, this Titan team is good. He wouldn't have to do too much. It's actually, you know, Rabel. And you th- you figure that they'll bench Tannehill if there's any signs of regression and hand it over to the new guy. And I went, ah, this kind of makes sense. And then watching it last night, I was like, ah, I probably don't want to have that ticket. Uh, Greg Jennings, Super Bowl champion, former Pro Bowl receiver. Uh, what's up, buddy? How we doing? <laughs> We're doing great. Yeah. So uh, you writing off Malik Willis? You, you got any Malik Willis Offensive Rookie of the Year tickets floating out there? Oh, yeah, of course. I signed up for him after the game last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, imagine being a receiver on that team, though, just doing the entire week of practice going like, I'm not getting a ball. <laughs> That's so weird. I'm just like, I am not getting a ball today. Yeah, I think the frustrating part is probably all week, you know, he, he probably was throwing to the receivers because this is one thing I've always hated about NFL practices at times. They, they card the, the defenses. And and then they kind of tell the quarterback where or what he should have. And so in practice, it looks great. Receivers are catching balls. He's probably throwing the ball downfield. They feel really comfortable. I wouldn't say confident, but they feel comfortable about, you know, what they got going on as far as the game plan. And then you get to the game and the defense doesn't do exactly what you put on cards. And it's like, oh, shoot, he has to really play. He has to respond. He has to <laughs> show us what he can do on the fly and it just it never it never presented itself it never showed up that being said my biggest takeaway from the game was what is it about Vrabel man because this guy this guy just can coach up a game like they were in that thing with a quarterback that like you said did not complete a pass to a receiver um and yeah Derrick Henry's good and you can run the ball but that like those guys played hard and they were in it right until the end with a team that's supposed to be a Super Bowl contender. I just I couldn't come away from it feeling anything other than, man, this guy probably won't win this award, but he should be, as of right now, coach of the year. Yeah, he does a great job of just making sure that his team is prepared. Um, and typically when we watch the Titans play, they don't ever really get out coached. They kind of get outplayed at times, but they don't ever get out coached. Even when he went up against Belichick, and he, you know, he he knew the clock situation, and he was on the refs, and he took advantage. Like he, 
even with that, like that's the that's kind of your sensei, if you will. And and he didn't really necessarily get out coached. Um, this is just who Rabel is. He is a film study guy. He's a preparations guy. He's going to have his guys prepared, and it's going to always end up being about the execution, how we execute, taking taking care of who and what we can control, um, and then trying to win games, giving ourselves opportunity to win in the waning moments of the game. They had an opportunity. Yeah, they were there. They just didn't get it done. Yeah. They were there. And when they when they watched that film, that third and 17, which I know everybody's looking Oof. at, they had they had a – they they had Patrick Mahomes even there, but when you when in, in, when you go back into the film room, which they're doing today, that defensive team you're probably going to watch some plays collectively. You're going to turn on that film and you're going to see that scramble and you're going to see some guys loafing, thinking that oh somebody's going to get them and they had an opportunity to get them and then up oh, he he escapes and now you want to turn on and you start running. That's the type of thing that's probably going to drive. Vrabel crazy when he turns that film on and sees that. Yeah. I see. And that's the other part of Vrabel that I really like. He just seems like a badass. Like he kind of just looks like a nineties action, not the star, but the guy who would be beside Arnold Schwarzenegger in a movie, pretty much the guy who's like going to get killed, you know, early in a vicious way. The, the badass, like co-commander, the guy that just like is chomping a big cigar I I think that he just seems like the kind of guy you want to impress and that he got that he's got that defense just playing hard every single week. I like that they're the physical team with the coach that looks like a physical guy. There's just something to him I like. Okay, so um we're running down your former teams today. Uh let's let's start with this. Uh is Tua getting enough credit? Man, he's not. He's not getting enough credit. And I know <laughs> I was talking about this today already, and, and one of the things that everybody always wants to continue to highlight is, well, he's underthrowing Tyreek Hill, and if, if he doesn't have a big enough arm. But what I, I, I caution people to understand is that makes it even more difficult for a defender when Tyreek Hill stops and goes back for a ball that's 50 yards down the field. A defender is one or two options. It's either going to be a pass interference or you, your guy is going to be able to make a play and nothing happens. So for me, Tua has been, he's done exactly what they believe that he was capable of doing if he takes advantage of it. He's taking advantage of it. He's exhausting everything that he has at the quarterback position, and I think he's, he's improving, and he's proving so many wrong. But Tyreek Hill. Yeah, he he's showing that man. I, I can make any quarterback look a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm saying though. Is it's tough because I'm watching this game and Tua was doing a lot of good, and it's clear that he can get the ball out and he's accurate, right? And but it's like you just got to get the ball out and give it to this guy who is just going to make insane plays and be able to do a ton with yards after the catch. And I, I like Waddle too. But so much of this does feel like the Tyreek Hill effect. Like he's just the the one of one. He's going to hit 2,000 yards this season, which, by the way, uh, I do want to know what you think about that now. Like you need to tell me your feeling on this now because this can't be a retroactive one. He's he's going to pass Megatron if he plays all these games. Um, will you look at that as the record now that we've got 17 games? Like how do you look at that as a receiver? It's the record. Like he, right. right now – he, he right now through nine games, no one has done what he's done. Yep. No one has put these yards up. 
through nine games. I don't. So if he continues to do what he's done, he'll do it before the 16, 16 game mark. If he does that, then like, it's obviously not, legit. Correct. It's 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 obvious. It will be legit. It, for me, when you think about <laughs> talent wise, arm talent wise, quarterbacks. Megatron had Matthew Stafford. Mm-hmm. Tyreek has Tua Tagovailoa. The big arm effect. Tua doesn't have an extremely big arm. What Tyreek is doing is, and I love Megatron. Mm-hmm. It's arguably more impressive because of how he's. Get, everybody knows, like you know what? We got to try to stop this guy, and no one can stop him. No one can do. And and to add to that, just going back to Tua, why I say Tua is definitely not getting enough credit, and you mentioned it because if you look at. Tyreek, that's great. But then you look at Jalen Waddle, and it's like, whoa, you got two guys, mm-hmm. not just one guy. This is this is two guys that you're you're doing this with. So I, I like what they're doing down in Miami. It just must be so fun right now, knowing like, hey, cool, bubble screen, <laughs> 30 yards. You know, right. all right, cool. <laughs> like, he's wide open down the field again. Like, I just need to put it out in front of a guy who's going to continue to catch it. I, I love watching Tyreek play right now. It's actually almost more fun watching him on this team than with the Chiefs because we're I think we're actually just realizing how awesome a player he is. And it's it's weird because he's a shorter guy, but he's got this insane vertical, insane speed. Where do you think he ranks just among like the greatest athletes we've ever seen at this position? Yeah, to be, to be honest, he's always been a little underrated yeah. at the receiver position just because, you know, we've seen him with what we all saw as a, a, a trend, a transcending talent of of Patrick Mahomes, like generational talent, a guy at a quarterback. Oh, he has to have a lot to do with this. Tyree Kill is special. His ability to get in and out of breaks his speed, his acceleration to get to top speed, how quickly he gets there, his ability to go in high point balls, his ability to make guys miss and break tackles. Like he there's really nothing he can do he can't do. Like he can do he can do it all. When you put his size in comparison to other guys, like he's one of he's the one of the fastest guys to ever play the game, one of the shortest receivers to play, but he's playing with and putting up the biggest numbers we've ever seen. Like he's exhausting everything. He's doing it with not only Patrick Mahomes, but now he's doing it with Tua and whoever else was that quarterback. Because yep. when Tua was out, he he was still doing it. Like it didn't. He didn't stop. So it's definitely what he's doing. He's going down this year if he can stay healthy, man. As as this is an all time great year right now. Yeah, it is. It's, it's awesome to watch it. And especially since, again, like it's, it's a unique way of doing things that he, that he's getting these numbers. We just, we haven't seen a guy like him before. We haven't seen this version of a receiver. Um, And it's, it's interesting. Like we're talking about this right now too. And like, this is actually a little bit longer than I expected to go on Tyreek, but I want to stick with it just for this one is last year we did a lot of who's the best receiver in the NFL, right? Because it's been like Justin Jefferson and Devonte Adams and Cooper cup, right? Like this was the big conversation, which one of these three guys is the best. And you never really had Tyreek in that position because like of what you just said with the chiefs thing. Right. And you go, well, he's more of just like a guy that goes down the field, creates these freakish plays, but I don't know if he gets the same kind of, um, he's not the pure route runner like that Devonte Adams gets or that Cooper Cup gets. Oh, he's not as versatile. It's like 
This guy right now, if you need one wide receiver to win you a game with that's just quarterback proof, that's just proof of any QB in the NFL, he's obviously the guy, to me anyways. Is he the guy to you? Yes, he is. He he, he is. I, I do a top five receivers every week, and he, for the last three three week four weeks, maybe even five, it's been Tyreek Hill. I mean, you can't you can't ignore what he's doing mm-hmm. and how he's doing it. Like again, when you play with a what we consider a Hall of Fame talent at quarterback. It's hard, It's easy for us to kind of gloss over what the receiver brings to the table because we're so enamored with the play of Patrick Mahomes and his his backyard style of play and hey, his big arm, arm and all this. <laughs> yeah, it, we're, we're we're so just glued into that that we're like, yeah, Tyreek Hill is good, but would he be that good? Everybody always asks this question: Would he be that? without Patrick Mahomes yep. or will he be that without the other and and, and Tyreek Hill is proving I am that no matter who you have back there yep yep I, I, their defense sucks um and good game for Fields he deserves credit our guy it was a good week for the uh, JD and Greg yeah. quarterback syndicate of Geno Smith yeah. and Justin Fields who we bought stock in last week both guys played great but yeah, that Dolphins Absolutely. defense, I think it's probably going to hold them back from being true contenders. But this is my last thing that I would say. And it's funny because this whole segment was supposed to be about like, does Tua get enough credit? Because I think he's playing well. But with Tyreek Hill's the only skill position player right now, in my opinion, that has a team as contenders because he could just, he could win you a game against anybody. And like, I don't think that's the case right now with Adams. Well, that team is just so bad. The Raiders, like they're not even going to be in the mix. But I don't think that's the case with your other team, the Vikings, who we're going to get to in a second. It's just, it's Tyree Kill. He's a one-of-one one right now where you go, yep, they could beat that team because Tyree Kill could go off for 200-plus yards and a couple of touchdowns and just wreck a game and steal one from you. Um, your Vikings, which, do you, do you think they're contenders? Like, that was a weird one because they're down double digits in the fourth. They come back, her cousin's on the plane doing his thing. But I also go, why were you down double digits to commanders and having an entire you know, three quarters of horrible football. Yeah. The Vikings, man, they're seven and one though. And I, I, I know I said this, early so, this morning, you say like that. I'm like, that's not true. That's can't be true. Someone check know, those stats because it's, it's almost like a fraudulent seven and one just because of how they are winning these games. And I'm not trying to undermine them because winning, we all know is hard to do, but, it's it's a difference when optically I see like the Philadelphia Eagles. I'll stay in the NFC. You see the Philadelphia Eagles. You even see what the Cowboys are doing. Like the Vikings just look glitchy, and the Eagles don't look glitchy. They look like you know what? No, this is who we are. The the Vikings look like you would ask yourself, is this who we are, or is this who they are? Like. <laughs> That yeah. that's kind of how you approach what they've done. Now, like you said, they're seven and one, so they are right now a really good football team record wise. Um, they're top their division. They're going to win that division. All those things are in are are in the line for them to be great. But optically looking at this team, they don't check every box for me. 
No, not even close. And I know this because I, I know a lot of Vikings fans, and none of them are talking trash right now. None of them are like, we're doing this. Like, I'm a Seahawks fan, and, like, I'm lighting up people's phones right now. And I'm going, I can't believe this is happening. Like, this is legit. This is now in the legit category for me. So this is how I have the NFC, okay? You tell me where you would disagree. Eagles won, obviously. I got Cowboys, two. Mm-hmm. I got Seahawks, three. Niners, four. And then Vikings, five. You got Seahawks three? Yep, Seahawks three ahead of the Niners. So I, I don't have that. I, I I would say I would say Eagles. Yeah. I would say Cowboys, then I would say the Vikings. Mm-hmm. And then I would say this I honestly would say the Seahawks even over the Niners right now. Where yeah. the Niners are right now, not talking about projecting them. I'm not looking into the future. What I know of the Niners right now, I would have them under the Seahawks. Man, Niners for like Kyle Shanahan has a sub 500 record coaching that team. Like the Niners get away with murder when it comes to narrative. Like their head coach is not over 500 with the Niners, and people talk about them every week like they're going to win the Super Bowl, like they're the best team in football. And then it's like there's always excuses. Oh, they're hurt. Oh, there's this. Oh, it's Jimmy G. Oh, it's whatever. It's like Niners stink. All right, and there's a paper team. They're paper team. <laughs> Every single week, it's about them, and it's like, okay, great. Yeah, no, awesome. Uh, great. You guys are the paper champions yet again. The Niners fans, I can't wait to hear the ball tell me about why they're there. I put the Seahawks ahead of the Vikings. I just think that they're more consistent. I, I just like what I'm seeing from Geno. I love that offense. Their young DBs are long and rangy, and it's kind of like a Pete Carroll team, and they've got these big guys up front that are dominating the line of scrimmage. Seahawks are happening, man. Seahawks are happening. It's a real thing. Their body language is the best right now. Like, you watch their sideline, you watch their team, you watch Geno. It's the opposite of the two teams that have the worst body language, which is the Cardinals. I don't know if it's Kyler has one of those faces or what it is, but it just seems like every interaction he has with somebody is contentious. Like, I keep waiting for him to, like, speaking of Geno Smith, I keep waiting for the report that he gets his jaw broken in a, in a locker room because some guy's like, you know what? Enough of this little guy. Like, I'm not having this anymore. Bang. Uh, I, like, what are they supposed to do, man? All these guys in the organization are tied up forever, and it just seems like no fun being on the Cardinals. It does seem like no fun, and I, you know, somebody's gonna have to uh, wear this. And more often than not, we know who that someone is. It's the head coach. Good, he's paid till twenty twenty seven, Greg. (laughs) They just paid him till twenty twenty seven. And I understand that. I understand, but losing, losing, losing will unravel and unbuckle everything. It'll be like you know what we'll 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 dismiss you we'll pay you but we we gotta make some changes. No one wants to go into something with it looking the way that it's looking for the Arizona Cardinals. Like they just don't look like they they don't look like they get along. Uh, no, <laughs> they definitely do not look like, like they get along. <laughs> they look pissed off like at they, each other they, all they, the time. Yeah, so like you that's that starts. From the the tone is set from the head coach, mm. period. That tone is set from the head coach down. Mm. You got it. You, something's going to happen with that. Okay, but sometimes the like the organization. It's just weird for me because the coach doesn't have 
more power here than Kyler, right? And if I do the whole, well, who's always the guy fighting with everybody? It's not always the coach. It's not the coach fighting with Hopkins on the sideline, right? It's not the coach yelling at the defense. Yeah. Like it's Kyler. He's in the mix on every single one of these things. And I think so much the position, like you tell me if I'm wrong, is about that leadership quality and the way that you can communicate with your teammates to get what's the best out of everyone, right? Sometimes you do need to be hard on somebody. Sometimes you do need to get up in somebody's face. But if you're getting up in somebody's face every single week, which it looks like with Kyler now, I got to think that's a that's a you problem as the quarterback. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm very close to, to Larry Fitzgerald. And I remember Kyler's first year, I remember him telling me they, they rolled out the red carpet and gave him the keys too fast. Mm. They gave him the keys too fast, like, and and he recognized it because of how leadership works. You don't just hand somebody a, a C on their chest as a captain and say, "Hey, lead our team." And they haven't proven, we haven't seen, we haven't identified how you're going to go about leading us. Like that, Kyler, the way he's going about it is like a, and I hate to say this, it's like a a spoiled kid mm-hmm. that gets all he wants or she wants when they throw a temper tantrum and it's all about them and they can do it however they want to do it. And then when they, when it doesn't work, it's like, it's not them, but when it does work, it is me. See, I told you, mm-hmm. and, and you can't do that. You can't do that. So you can kind of do it when you have the pedigree and when you've backed it up but when you start to lose it and you start to throw three interceptions against the Lions, two of which in the red zone, and you're bitching at everybody, and this is coming after a week of you saying guys got to get benched for poor play, um, Aaron Rodgers, yeah. this is in the ugly zone, man. How hard is it? Because this is the thing. You've been around him. And I would imagine yeah. that when Aaron Rodgers is mad at you, it's got to feel the worst because he just shows it. Like, it's funny. In baseball, they always say, like, the pitcher can't th- uh, show up a defender when they make an error. Like, whenever they show anything, any kind of expression of, come on, man, make that throw to first, you know, or catch that ball, get in good position, the broadcast loses it. And there's Aaron Rodgers, like, every single week just his face and his body language. Like, he never lets anything go anything go with anybody and it must be the worst when he's feeling that in your direction when he's starting to hate on you but it's got to feel like infinitely worse in that room right now when at least now he's not like the mvp guy that's carrying your team every week and leading by example yeah i think what makes it worse right now is there's no one in there that can hold him accountable um and and so when when i was in that locker room when you had the 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 Jordy Nelsons, the Devontes, the Randos, the James Jones, like like we held each other to such a high standard and we didn't we didn't let one another uh like get away with what coaches would even let you get away with or excuse you from. We didn't do that. That's just not we if the coach was like, man, that's a good play and we felt like it wasn't, we looking at you like you're gonna speak up, say something, because that was terrible. Like that was what we did. And so when you're closer in, in age and in years, you do that. You do those types of things. Well, right now, Aaron Rodgers is on a, a level in, in his tenure and his career where no one else is. And then those who are in the friend zone, 
they, they're not going to say it. They're not going to call him out on it because you might be outed of the friend zone. Yeah. And so you can, people can call it what they want. I, I literally, before we jumped on there, I'm listening to Matt LaFleur's press conference after the game. He never once wanted to say anything negative about Aaron's play. He, the errant throws at the end of the game when he was throwing it out the back of the end zone and just taking, just throwing the ball. Like, what are you doing? It was, I got to be better with the play calls. The three interceptions, I got to look at them. I got to see what happened on those. What? We no, 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 no. We we can't make we can't make those mistakes. We can't make that. They asked him about the body language. Yeah, we all as a as a whole have to be better with our body language and mindful. No, mm. you're not holding. You're you're continuing to allow someone the opportunity to do that. You can't keep doing that, and that's that's what's that's what's frustrating. I think for probably a lot of those guys in that locker room, they can't even say it. They want to, but they they can't because the head coach won't even do it. Yeah, that's uh, see, that's brutal to me because if you are a guy like that and you're saying guys got to get benched right earlier in the week if they continue not to perform, and then you come out there and if you, it's not about you got to look at it. He underthrew balls all game long. He missed a he missed a couple of just old school Aaron <laughs> Rodgers layups, and then he was just like throwing temper tantrums throughout the game. Any play that's not going his way, he's just doing the slouch, the thing. Again, if you have somebody who is a bit of a diva, right, they can be a diva when they're awesome because you put up with it. And that's in any job, any walk of life. You're like, ugh, this guy's annoying or this guy is, he can be just such a bitch sometimes, but it's just whatever. He, it's fine because he's awesome at this or she's awesome at this. But with Aaron Rodgers right now, I got to feel like, again, it's a situation where there's somebody that's just sitting there in that locker room every day going, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of the way that you talk about our team. I'm sick of the way that every single play that goes awry, you have some big show about it and you're not carrying this team. And like, yep, you were a great player. That's awesome. But I, I stay with Wheezy right now. They should have got rid of 12. <laughs> they should have got rid of him. They, yeah. He was right. He was right. Uh, Weezy was right. Weezy for the panel. Like, he's he's bang on, man. They should have got rid of him last offseason when he decided that he wasn't all in on this team and he was complaining nonstop about what he had around him and threatening retirement and they didn't know where they stood. They should have known and just said, you know what, this sucks, but we got to part ways and we got to move on. And now it just feels like too late. Yeah, and I feel like a part of them, they knew it. They knew it, but then he almost he almost made it even more difficult for them to recognize it after come, having a, a back-to-back MVP type of year. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, oh well, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we, maybe we did the right thing, and you know, things things look different this year. And it's like, you know, and it's easy to point the finger at at, at Aaron right now. It, it is, but and the reason why it's. I I choose to point the finger at him is because I don't need to point the finger at everybody else. We know we, we, we didn't have expectations from everyone else. Like the expectations from everyone else was that he, he's going to make it better. Mm-hmm. He hasn't, he's been a part of the, he is not the only problem. Let me say that he is not the only problem. He is not the reason why the Packers are losing, but he is no longer the reason why they win. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Uh, Greg Jennings, as always, thanks for your time this week, man. We'll catch you next.
Absolutely. Appreciate it. See you, dude. Uh, Greg Jennings, Super Bowl champion, former Pro Bowl receiver. Yeah, I don't think that he's the main reason. Actually, sorry, he is the main reason the Packers are losing. Um, they built a team around him. And whatever, like the whole he doesn't have enough weapons thing. This has been Aaron Rodgers' MO. Like, did you just hear what Greg Jennings has outlined that they had on that team at one time? Like, Aaron Rodgers has had awesome weapons throughout his entire career. And he carries himself like a guy who's never had a shot. But yeah, I just, that's, everybody knows it. If you're around a hard ass who holds everybody accountable to every single detail all the time, and then that person is not carrying their weight and leading by example, then it falls apart. You got to find different ways to lead. And that's just not what Aaron Rodgers has done. And if you're calling guys out the week before and you're telling everybody that they got to pick it up or else they're going to get benched, you can't show up and throw multiple interceptions in the red zone against the Lions. He missed three throws. Two of which turned into interceptions and one that would have been a touchdown. Anyway, um, I love getting to talk about the Packers with Greg Jennings. And this is like so awesome that we've got this Packers season and then we get Greg Jennings and every single Monday. Like it's really good because I can't help it. I don't want to talk to him, but I'm not trying to like kill the Packers every week. But what are you supposed to say? They lose the Lions and the quarterback is just having meltdowns on the field and then the team won't hold them accountable. But by the way, hey, fellas, uh, turn on your mics. Who did... Greg Jennings, that analogy he made to Kyler Murray. Did that remind you of anything? I saw you look at Pete. And I know. Way. And Pete's still missing it completely because he's part of the Kool-Aid club where he's just, he can't even hear it from the outside. <laughs> that didn't remind you of anything. Car keys right away. Everything all at once. Not showing whether you're a leader before deciding to give you every single thing. It's like a little leafish. It's a lot of the <laughs> criticisms that have been launched, launched at the Leafs. I'm just saying. Oh, I know. I like to see. see like, oh, <laughs> Pete again. Kool Aid Club. Just it's just tough. It's tough in the Kool Aid Club. You don't you don't back see anything wins. from the outside. Big wins. Three wins in a row. <laughs> yeah, three wins. Yeah. Yeah, Flyers one counts too. Yeah, it counts too. Um, yeah, I I thought that was fun. I thought that was good. But yeah, it's true. Like people, uh, sports is. What I love about it is meritocracy, right? Like if you perform, you're the best. No one can really say anything about you. But when it comes to some of the intangibles about it, when it comes to being like, yeah, you can be awesome, but you do have to still show it for a while before people, like you can grab people's respect. And I think that's the thing with Kyler. He put up all these video game numbers and he's just such a unique talent that you go, well, it's undeniable. He's, he's the guy. I don't think that all good players are good leaders. And I think that that's what they're learning in that, in that team is that they don't really have a good leader. And maybe he's not even that good of a player. He was good. He's awesome when he's running the ball and he can make some plays downfield. And when Hopkins is playing, he's better. I don't know if he's, it's ironic that you say video game numbers. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. You know, he's on call of duty. Just, yeah. Giving it to somebody that night. And he's just, <laughs> he's that guy on the headset, like, you're a loser. I'll kill. <laughs> what do you say in video games? I don't know. I don't, I've never played. Nothing you we can call say. On a noob. You, yeah, exactly. Nothing because we can you guys are ruthless when you're on the video games. It's so funny to me that Gen Z, they're the ones that are like, don't say anything 
it's so bad. And then they're the ones that are like on the headsets saying the most ruthless things to people that if they were ever recorded, they're canceled forever. But yeah, whatever. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Uh, by the way, I think I forgot to close time for action. So I want to say thank you for that segment to DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app. Must be 19 plus. Must be present in Ontario. Get in on an official betting partner of the NFL. Do those things. Thank you to DraftKings. Quick break. Let's come back. Tons of stuff that we missed, including ugh, a bummer of a Siakam injury that I'll talk about. Uh, all that next. Quick break. Sportsnet 590. The fan. All right. Before we get to what we missed, the number one thing we missed is another gutty win for the Raps. Fred comes back. Fred plays great. Fred against his Bulls. Which it'll have been the most predictable prop night. Uh, of course, he was going to light up the Bulls. And I bet you, again, tonight, back-to-back. Nice little rap spot tonight. But this is, ver- this is even worse than the Leafs situation where they get these awesome wins and then you start to wonder about the goaltending. The Leafs situation is a little bit different because you were always worried about the goaltending. And so this kind of becoming an issue is, it's like, it's, this already was an issue. I'm not sure that anyone expected that Samsonov was going to be a top 10 goalie this season for the entirety of it. Maybe he does turn out to be, you know, turning in a really great performance this year. I hope so, because I've liked him so far, and I hope that he can get healthy. But Leafs goaltending was always going to be a huge story on the season, and I'm still way more encouraged by what we've seen from them over the weekend because the formula was never for them to get some elite-level goaltending, right? And you got to figure that come playoff time, there's no Shalgren and there's no Keith Petrozelli, or maybe Keith. Maybe Keith is the man. I really hope, God, I hope Keith is the man mm-hmm. and that this gets figured out. That would be so sweet if Keith Keith was that dude. But the Raptors situation is so much worse because here you have Pascal Siakam who is starting the season as one of the stories of the year, right? One of the most interesting guys in the NBA from the standpoint of, I've said this a million times, he inherited a really, really tough situation with the Kawhi vacuum. Kawhi leaves and people go, can you be new Kawhi? Because we were comparing you kind of to Kawhi as a guy that was a later draft pick, a later bloomer, somebody who developed on the fly. Can you be Kawhi? And that first year, Siakam showed up, and he was bawling in the regular season. He came out, I'll never forget that game against the Celtics, where he was just like raining threes. They lost this game to the Celtics, but he hit a bunch of threes, and he was just like carrying the offense. And from that point forward, there were all these crazy conversations about, like this was the first couple weeks of the season, and people were going, could... Siakam win an MVP <laughs> and they were, everyone was high. They were coming off the high of the championship and everyone was still high off the fumes and everyone got way too ahead of themselves with Siakam. And then he hit the bubble and everyone got way too down because this city is used to playoff chokes, right? Toronto. I'm sorry. It is. It's why people get so pissed off about the Leafs. It's why they get so pissed off when the Raptors haven't performed there. This city has had a lot of playoff disappointments and Siakam basically goes into like a pretty tough narrative cycle with a lot of the fan base from that point forward. Not a lot of people buy in and believe when he is great. It's always a, let's see it in the playoff situation. He starts the, he starts the season hurt. It's a slower start. He's starting to get himself ingrained with the team. They get to the postseason with the Sixers. He starts horrifically. People give him all the blame. I thought rightfully so because he was horrific to start that series. He looked like Choker Siakam. You thought, oh, well, the book's out. And then he finishes the series strong. And you go, okay, well, what the hell is this? 
He comes in the season making bold proclamations. He's healthy. He's playing great. He looks awesome. And people start to go, holy crap, man. Maybe we should appreciate this guy just a little bit more. Maybe the Raptors' ceiling does change a little bit. Maybe they're not championship contenders, but they do look like they're that tier below and where they slot in and who could they beat in a playoff series. And so much of it is about Siakam. And then he gets a reoccurring injury, and now it's reevaluating two weeks. And yeah, it's probably going to end up being fine. But for someone who is like as athletically gifted as Siakam is, you just you hate the reoccurring injury to a groin, especially for a guy his size who moves as quickly as he does and takes on the workload that he does. And I just don't like it when a when a dude is in the zone, when a guy has just started to unlock things. And he's got to go up on the shelf for a couple of weeks. Just sucks. It's just like there's really no positive spin for any of this. Like I tried to turn it into a, well, maybe now Scotty gets a little bit more. And who cares? Scotty was getting enough. Did anybody feel like Scotty Barnes wasn't getting enough run right now? Is there another Raptor that you feel like really needs to have more? I feel like the OG conversation, part of what's great about it is that we've settled in on, hey, this dude is an awesome player. He's one of the best defensive players in the NBA. He's ripping three steals a game right now. He's awesome off the ball. He can knock down a shot. But if he's your number two option offensively, hell, maybe your number three option offensively, it's not going to be great because he's not a good creator. Losing Siakam is just, yeah, it, it's going to sap a lot of the joy of watching the Raptors offensively. They obviously can't replace him, but I just feel for a guy that came into the season doing all the right things and then got bit with just something unfortunate. Any, anyways, what else did we miss? So we'll go to a little bit of good news from an injury, uh, not to stick uh, on the, the bad, but Alfonso Davies, Canada's most talented soccer player. Uh, there was a little scare on the weekend. He pulled up in a game against Hertha Berlin holding his hamstring, mm-hmm. and they said that it was going to be a, uh, they feared it was an initial muscle tear. Everyone's like, oh, crap, like this sucks. World Cup's in two weeks. This is our best player. But luckily, yesterday they said his participation is not at risk. They're going to rest him for the last two games before the World Cup, and Hopefully he'll be back in full participation for Team Canada. All right. How are you interpreting full? Per- how are you interpreting that, Pete? <laughs> Me personally? Yeah, because like Joe's like, Ooh, thank God. I'm like, thank God for what? Nothing has changed. They're just like, he's gonna go to the World Cup. Yeah. No one thought he wasn't gonna go to the World Cup. There was some fear initially. I don't. You didn't, you didn't know because he's a. I guess. But here's the thing: even if you have a mild hamstring strain. The prognosis is three to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Hmm. World Cup's now in what, 19 days? Canada's first game is November 23rd. That's really soon. That's, yeah. It is the very quick soon. math says, me not knowing the date today, <laughs> that that's very soon. 16 days. Oof. It's the seventh today. Man, see, like, that is soon. It's very soon, yeah. For a guy who leans very much on speed, mm-hmm. and for the guy who, let's be honest, yeah, I was at the U.S. game, all right? Unlike you, Jobo, I actually went. You know, I support my team. You're more of a... I had school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shut up. Shut up, Jobo. I wanted to go to class. Yeah, shut up. You don't even go to, you didn't even go to school. Pete outed you for that. He was like, yeah, Joe never went to school. What? <laughs> yeah, oh, like, uh, no, 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 no. I didn't say that. Yeah, no. was like, oh, nobody went to school. Yeah, My attendance exactly. was perfect in first year. You guys paid a million dollars to go to college of sports media, and you didn't even go. Um, so anyway, yeah, anyways, uh, you guys paid all that money and it didn't even show up anyways. So they won that game against the States, but also that game against the States. Let's, let's just be real. It was an awesome game. They definitely deserve to win, but 
Canada didn't look like the stronger team for parts of it. They capitalized on the the moments that they needed to. It was great. It was an awesome win. All-time sporting event that I've ever been to, easily in my top three. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't exactly like they were dominating, carrying the player, even that it looked like those two teams were even for a lot of it. It looked like the States was going to eventually break through. They never did. Whatever. They need Alfonso Davies to be a special team. Like, let's not get it twisted. This this program is not deep enough where they can withstand uh, losing Alfonso Davies, show up at the World Cup, play Belgium, and look like they are going to be just fine. No, they need him to be tip-top form. And I'm sorry, but it's really, really hard for me to believe that he is going to be A-OK after limping off the field with a hamstring injury a couple of weeks ago. And let's say that he is. Awesome. Great. I hope so. I really, really hope so. But the risk of potentially re-aggravating that injury has to be extremely high. It's not like hamstring just is like, that is the reoccurring injuries hamstring. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the one. So I'm terrified about this. I'm heartbroken about this. I'm trying not to, I'm not trying to be Debbie downer here. Like, honestly, I I'm really not. I'm really, really excited for Canada to play at the world cup. I love this team as much as the news cycle has been horrific ever since they clinched. Um, it's going to be some positive vibes once they actually start playing soccer games because I still believe deep down in my heart that, and it's probably just being a Homer fan, but that they're going to perform better at the World Cup than anybody anticipates. And it's just like, man, if they could just, is the first game Belgium? Yeah. Yeah. If they could just get a draw, they won't. It's, it's possible. <laughs> I know, but if it is could, the World Cup. Like, that's crazier what I'm saying. Things have if happened. you could just get a draw in game one against Belgium, it's going to pop yeah. off. Like, just somehow you get that first one, it's going to pop off. And everyone's going to be down on Queen. Everyone's down on King. Yeah. Bars me popping in November. The weather's nice. We, people are going to be able to still hit a patio with some <laughs> heated lamps. It's, it's going to go. It's going to go. But they need Davies, man. Yeah. And, and just come on. Please, Davies. Just be okay. Please, please, oh, please. Because, yeah, this is a real... Like, yeah. everyone thinks Davies broken out now. No, he wasn't really with the team too much during the... End of the World Cup. Like, I went to three games. I never saw Davies. Yeah. He had the myocarditis. Yeah. From the inflammation from COVID-19. And missed some time. But they still played well without him. But he is Canada's best player. Yeah. They need him. Yeah. They need him. What's next? Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Speaking to uh, the yeah. media in the Dominican Republic. Uh, quoted as saying, I like to play in New York. Yeah. I like to kill the Yankees. Yeah. I would never sign with the Yankees. Not even dead. Dude, Austin, do you have the audio? No, he doesn't have it. Because it's way better in Spanish. I will say that that part is better. He's like, is he like, not even muerte? Like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so badass. He's just not even dead. It's like, well, yeah, it's like probably, smiling too. <laughs> but also it's like, who wants to sign the dead guy? <laughs> like, yeah, they don't want you either. That's what the Yankees should issue a statement today being like, we'll never sign a dead Vladimir Jr. Like, we will never do that. Um, this is... So I get it. I'm stoked to hear it. I don't fully believe it. Like if Vladdy hits free agency and the Yankees come with the biggest bag of money, come on. Does anyone really believe that this is like this, this, Hey guys, now it's done. It's cemented and sealed. There's no way that the Yankees could get Vladdy. Like, come on, people change. Things change. Guys talk trash about organizations all the time. And then it ends up being fine. It like, this is kind of sports. But this is, I'm sorry, but this is a much, this is a Toronto story. This is just, again, shows our insecurities as a market. Toronto is always like this. It's the, one of the biggest cities in North America. 
we fashion ourselves as like the big city, you know, we Drake views, <laughs> we're big, but then there's always that little bit of insecurity. There's just that insecurity of people leaving us, people not respecting the city enough and whatever, whatever it is, this is kind of that where I, I did wonder how many guys around baseball have it be like, I'll never sign with the Yankees be dead, be like the top story from the weekend in a market. Maybe, maybe it's higher, but it just more was a reminder to me of how you need to do that here. You really need to kiss Toronto's ass in a very special way and tell the people of Toronto, like, you're special. I love it here. I want to be here. It's so cool here. It's awesome food here. Like, even this, you know, this, I know I'm not giving a free plug, but there's that Scotty Barnes commercial right now, too, where he's like, and this is my home. It's like, yeah, yeah man. Of course it is. How many places do you have to do that? You know, like you play here. There's so many things for branding of like home is Toronto. Toronto is home. It's like because we're afraid that people won't make a home here. Like that's the fear. So it's like you always have to say it here. You think that in Houston there was like Houston is home. Everybody's home. It's like, no, guys, it's fine. They're fine. That's with the you. entire discourse around yeah, Austin anyway. Matthews right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, Pete's terrified. Yeah, yeah. That is a scary thought. Yeah, but Pete's, confident he'll resign. Yeah. All right. What's um, next? Well, kind of actually on a similar note, we didn't discuss this beforehand, but uh, Toronto Blue Jays, one of the only teams to post a congratulatory message to the Houston Astros after they won the World Series. Yeah, I didn't get to any World Series stuff today because I'm going to do it all tomorrow on Good Hour with Ennis. Mm. I'm just going to get in all the... I didn't want to shortchange the World Series because I have very many thoughts. True, true. How? But we were the only team to post a... Yeah, you know why? Congrats, Astros. Because we're Canadian. No. <laughs> Because we have George Springer? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Toronto is invested in the, this was legit. Yeah. Oh, the legit title. Everything Springer did was legit. Springer was like the leader of the trash can bangs too, which is just devastating. When they did the, the, the audio go backs, that guy with the most time in the world who went and listened to all the bangs. Yeah. It was like George Springer was the number one guy. Anyway, yeah, Blue Jays had to do it. Um, I'm in misery. Part of the reason I didn't talk about it today is because it, it bummed me out watching my Phillies lose, especially the way they lost where it's just, anyway, I'll get into it tomorrow with Ennis about this whole, you got to take out the starter at any sign of trouble thing. Like I'm hoping that that's the one, you know, like the Phillies had to die so that we could all never see managers take out starting pitchers way too early again to go with mediocre bullpen arms. Like that's, that's, there's true sacrifice. The Phillies died so that we could enjoy baseball again. So starting pitching could be relied upon again. What's next? Uh, Edwin Diaz has agreed to Sucks. a five-year, $102 million contract yeah. with the New York Mets. Uh, it's one of the biggest contracts, first nine-figure contract ever for a closer. Yeah. Um, is this someone that you had your eyes on for the Jays or who's your ideal target for the Jays? The Jays Dolphins? were never going to do that. Jays were never going to be in on Edwin Diaz, but it was a nice little fantasy to have for a little while. Mm. So it kind of sucks that it's gone right away. <laughs> I'm not so concerned about, there's a couple things here. One, I never thought he was going to the Blue Jays. I'm glad he's not going to the Yankees though, because right. they were definitely a team that could have poached him. Stay in the national league, Edwin Diaz. Two, there's no way this contract ends up being good. I'm sorry, but yeah, paying a relief pitcher, what is it, 102 mil? 102 mil. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Guess what's going to be bad? That. Six-year option, too. Player or team? That's a good question, J.D. Yeah. Question. <laughs> See? This, remember when I tell you guys to know the story and you guys never listen? That's what this is about. Um, 
there's no way that this contract ends up being good, but no free agency contract is. Like, people go, oh, it's an overpay. It's like, yeah, dude, that's what free agency is. Anyway, I'd be, rather keep Edwin Diaz and be a Mets fan. Like, this is a nice sign of, hey, we're staying committed to trying to win. We're not giving up on this, and maybe some other guys will get paid. To me, the bigger fallout question for the Blue Jays is just, does this change the relief market in a significant way? Because I could see people going, well, who's Edwin Diaz? Who's the best closer, arguably, in baseball? And you go, well, yeah, that's a good point. But usually, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. And the Blue Jays have been pretty reluctant in the past to pay big money to relievers. And usually that's been like the consensus smart thing in baseball now, right? Is, hey, you should be able to find relief pitching. You should be able to find it on the cheap. You should be able to build it internally. Kind of like what a lot of the Astros did. But also, like... For a team that really, really needs to figure out their bullpen this year, having an offseason where, yet again, bullpen arms feel even more important, where they need multiple guys, and where someone just set the market at 102 milli, oof, tough spot for uh, for the old red circle and uh, Ross Atkins and Mark Spiro. What's next? Uh, Mattress Mac. Uh, won $75 million <laughs> off the Astros World Series win. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the largest known win in sports betting history. Yuck. Legal win. Uh, Just, yeah. yeah clarify. Like, Just oh, clarify Joe. Joe clarify the criminal. That. Joe the criminal. Shut <laughs> up in here. I'm not saying Joe's, I've done Joe's anything better. Legal well, that's win. Why yeah, Joe, Joe's known. criminal bros were like, make sure you say today <laughs> that he's not the true goat. No, I'm just clarifying <laughs> that it's it, uh, it's the largest legal win. I'm Dude, just... Magic Mac, a crybaby. He went to Philly. He had a meltdown. He cried. And then he tried to pretend like he was going to fight someone when he had security detail there. This <laughs> All his bets are hedged by the way that he runs his business. This is basically a free marketing campaign. I would say that here's the power rankings, the worst things about the Astros winning one, the, they validate that cheater championship in a more significant way Two, Jose Altuve winning. Who wants to see Jose Altuve win sucks. Who likes so if you like Jose Altuve jail moon jail immediately, like you don't live in Houston. Show me your area code. Show me your phone number. Show me your postal code or whether zip code. If not, you root for Altuve moon jail immediately war criminal. Um, I have his jersey. Yeah, I know. You just make me sick. He's a talented player. That's why I'm staring at you. Yeah. God, I hate you guys. I actually hate you guys' guts. You guys ruin everything for me. (laughs) Anyways, we gotta go. But Mattress Mac is number three. He stinks. I can't stand Mattress Mac. Cry, baby. Philly got to him. That's your World Series, Philly, is you made Mattress Mac cry all over your stadium. That was a decent one. Anyway, subscribe to this podcast. Leave a five-star review. Share it with your friends. And thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.